Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. What a joy it is to be with you, the family of God, on this first day of the week to celebrate our risen Savior together, uh, to dig into the Word of God, to discover how we're called to live as Christians, people who follow the rabbi, to, to share that message of hope with the world that is around us. Because at the end of the day, what we know is that Jesus Christ does make all things new. That is our theme this year, and we're digging into that as we walk through Scripture and discover how God's called us to live in His Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say a welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our assembly. We hope that you've seen Jesus in our midst so far. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our spiritual family right here at Cross Point to join us in telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. We've all been gifted in different ways, and so we invite you to use that gift set to give God glory in your life and to share that message of hope. Again, that is Jesus Christ. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a little bit. All of our texts will, of course, be on the screen, and we will be looking at a lot of texts today. I'll just warn you ahead of time. So be ready to kind of go back and forth a little bit. But uh, an exciting time as we're in the middle of this series that we've called Home. Uh, this idea that we're looking at, we're just passing through here on earth, and our real home is with our living hope, Jesus Christ, in heaven. And we look forward to that day, don't we, church? We want that day to come and uh, to get rid of everything that we have to deal with in this life, including losses in football, including taxes that are coming due soon, all of those things we want to just chunk away and live in the glory of Jesus Christ every single day. Last week, if you remember, I showed you the visual of the red door on stage, and some who are in construction said, Tim, you know that door is upside down? And I said, yes, I do. Um, Because we're looking at home from a different perspective. We want to be reminded, and Peter is going to remind us, that we're just passing through here on this earth, that our home is actually with God in a different place. And we're looking forward to that moment happening. Last week, I talked, too, about the different moments when maybe you've experienced the desire just to go home. Uh, I remember uh, in 2005, I believe it was, I took a short-term mission trip with a group of graduated high school seniors. There were seven of us that went to the country of Jamaica. Now, before you get excited, those people need Jesus, too. Now, we didn't work in the tourist areas or on the beaches, but actually we worked in a mountain town uh, in the St. Catherine Parish. It was a really cool opportunity to go and work with a local church there, and the church wanted us to come and host a VBS for the kids and families in that area. Uh, So we packed up our belongings, all seven of us, and put as much stuff as we could in our suitcases to do this VBS. We, We got there on the ground. And we started out initially, we worked out of a town called Spanish Town, but then drove up into the mountains to do this VBS. And we started out uh, moving into the school system, actually, and talking to the kids, inviting them to the VBS. We actually did some drama uh, out of the Bible stories we were going to use and made them laugh a little bit, and we laughed a little bit. It was, it was a lot of fun. The first night that we did that VBS, after we'd visited the schools, we had about 50 kids show up. And it was a lot of fun playing sports with them. We had volleyball and soccer. Uh, We ate together. We told Bible stories together. We just hung out with them and loved on them and shared the story of Jesus. Well, the next night, we had about 75 kids show up. I mean, the word got around, hey, the gringos are giving away stuff. So everybody just started showing up. And it was a lot of fun. 
The third night we were there, now remember, there are seven of us, we had 150 teens. Uh, kids show up. Uh, That's a lot of folks. And in the moment when I saw that many kids, I said, the Holy Spirit's calling me to move to this corner and just pray for the six of you to take care of this. But it was a lot of fun. We did some sightseeing after that and kind of looked around the island. But one of the kids in our group was named Bryson. Now, Bryson was a fairly new person to our group, and he was a senior who had graduated along with everyone else. And through the course of the week, he worked wonderfully with us. And then it came the night before we left to go home. We were leaving on the plane the next morning. And that night, he was laying in bed in his room complaining of lots of pain in his stomach. And Robin and I, as parents, we walked in. We kind of coached him and talked to him. And uh, Robin coddled him like a mom would. We gave him water and talked about how things were going to how we were going to get on the plane the next morning, and we were sorry he was in so much pain, and he mentioned that maybe we should take him to the emergency room. And I said, Bryson, this is a third world country, man. Your mom and dad would kill me if I took you to an emergency room here. I don't know what that looks like. And, and man, if, if we can just get through this night, it's going to be a long night, but if we can just get through, we'll get on the plane. First thing when we get there, we'll take you to the ER. We'll do whatever is necessary to get you right as rain. And we come to discover that evening as we were talking to Bryson that Bryson loves home a lot too. He likes certain parts of his home as well. As a matter of fact, he decided on this whole trip he would not go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's where his pain was coming from. I didn't feel too sorry for him anymore. (laughs) But you've had maybe not moments like that, but moments where you just wanted to go home. You know, if I could just go home and everything would be right. Everything would be good. Maybe you've been sick out on the road and, and you thought, man, if I could just get to my own bed with my own family, getting taken care of, everything would be, would be good. Maybe you remember that first night at the camp you went to, the first camp, and you were homesick. And you just thought, if I can just get home to mom and dad, everything will be all right. Or maybe you work a lot, and so you're on the road a lot. And Friday comes around, and you're thinking, I'd love to get home so I can have a home-cooked meal. You and I have had those moments where we long for home. And Peter in his letter is reminding us as followers of Jesus that we do indeed have a home. There's something special about home. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you about 30 minutes, uh, 30 seconds, not 30 minutes. I'll just wait up here 30 minutes uh, to think about the answer to this question. Here's your question. How many homes have you lived in in your lifetime? Okay, now think about that for a minute. Robin and I have uh, an atlas that we keep in the car for all of you young people. That was pre-Google Maps, okay? Had the actual book in the car. And there was a trip that we went on one day, and she opened up to the back, and she began listing places that she had lived and places she had been before she met me. I did the same thing. And then we compared notes on where we had been as a couple. It was a really cool idea to kind of look at where we've gone, where we've called home together, those types of things. Uh, And so it was good to kind of compile that and see where all we had been. So now you've had time to think about that, Uh, 30 seconds. On the count of three, I want you to yell at the stage how many homes that you have lived in in your lifetime. You ready? One, two, three. Yes, that's what I thought. Okay. Lots of different... Some of us have lived in one home our whole life. Uh, Others have moved frequently in our lifetime. But Peter is writing to folks who have lost their home. They're what we call the diaspora. They're in northern Turkey. 
They're running away from the culture that is pressing in on them. They have been slandered and marginalized. They've been kicked to the curb. Some of them are without employment. Some of them don't have anything to their name anymore. Some of them don't even have a home. But there is great hope when you are home. Even the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that we are citizens of heaven. That our citizenship is with Jesus Christ in heaven. And we draw hope from our living hope that is Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the hope that we have in this life. Last week, Peter reminded us in chapter 1, verse 3 beginning, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Peter reminds us that we've got a home in heaven, that we shouldn't worry too much about this earth and what it might throw at us. I love the language of the message version of the Bible in John chapter 1, where it talks about how Jesus moved into your neighborhood. I love that sentence. Just the visual of Jesus moving in to our neighborhood. And Peter reminds us again in chapter 1 and verse 17 that we are foreigners in this land. That we are on the way to a promised land that we will inherit. I mean, an alien is one who who lives in a place that isn't truly home. They're in unfamiliar territory, if you will. I don't know if you've experienced some moments like that, but like for me, it would be like maybe the gym, unfamiliar territory. Now, last week, I did go and I looked at the summit because I'm 50 now, so I can go join. That's a really cool place, but there are lots of people older than me who are much stronger, so it's a little intimidating. Maybe you have found yourself at a dinner conversation around a table with a whole bunch of smart people. And so if you're like me, you just kind of keep quiet. You take it in because it's unfamiliar territory. Maybe you find yourself at a party or a gathering where there are a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. You know that you're a follower, and so you find yourself in a corner of the house, and you're just waiting for the moment to go home. For some of us in our families, the only commonality that we really have is our last name. Because you are looking forward to living with the living hope in the home that he's prepared for us. But church, we're called, and Peter calls us to live in such a way as to shine our message of hope that is Jesus Christ. That we have a different message than the world is able to give out. That we have a different script than the world truly goes by. The writer of Hebrews says this, beginning verse 14, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. Peter reminds us, hey, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through, as the old hymn says. We're on our way to our eternal home, the one created for us by the one who loves us. See, I'm convinced that you and I are created with a God whole in our life. 
And the only way that we're ever going to be whole and have real purpose is when we put God in our life. We try to fill that hole that we have with other things and it ends up an absolute disaster. But you and I are created innately with a desire to go home. It is interesting how Peter uses his words to remind us what that home truly does look like. And Paul does too when he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 8. He says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. And you and I, if we're truly leaning into the story of Jesus, cannot wait to get home. Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 14. He's about to leave earth and he says, listen, I've got to go away to my home in order to build a home for you. But when I'm done building that home, I'll come back and get you. And you and I long for that day to happen. The Apostle John mentions in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, what that home might look like. It tells us about how, how heaven is actually coming down to earth. And in the presence of God and in that new place that any disability that you have in life, any negative will be taken away, it will be wiped away. So if you know someone or you're dealing with cancer, it will be no more. If you have broken relationships, it will be no more. If you're dealing with a long-term illness, it will go away. If you're dealing with a broken heart, it will be mended Whatever you are dealing with in life, and you and I have a laundry list, Jesus says, I will make everything right. I will make all things new. And the Apostle John tells us in chapter 21 of Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will live with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All things will be gone forever. Church, that's something to get excited about. That's something to say amen about. Because we know that in the presence of God, everything will be perfect. Well, how does Peter remind us that we can have that type of hope? Our text begins in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people. Now, church, if you've got your Bible this morning, this is 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10 are, are verses you want to circle, you want to underline, you want to asterisk, you want to highlight them because they create for you what your identity is, who you are in the eyes of God. It's incredibly important as we journey through this earth that we are reminded how glorious we truly are in God's sight. He says in verse 9, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. 
For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, Peter is writing to Christians who are scattered across northern Turkey. The idea, the, the phrase, you belong to God, is straight out of the Exodus story. And while Peter's letter will be read by Jews and Gentiles alike, he wants to address the Gentiles and remind them that they share in God's covenant. Guess what? We're all Gentiles in this room, to my knowledge. We get to share in the promise that God has for his people. We are God's people. And he says your past heritage, what's happened to you in the past, what you've experienced in the past, has no bearing on who you are in Christ Jesus that you and I get to have relationship with Jesus, no matter where we come from or who we are. He has brought you from darkness into light. It's the same language used in the Exodus story, leaving slavery and journeying toward the promised land. Peter goes on to quote the Old Testament and says, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. See, our identity, church, is in Jesus Christ. It's not in anything else that hangs on your wall or is in your bank account or is in your driveway. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. He is our passport to get back home. And I will say he is the only passport to get us back home. Nothing else will do. And maybe you discover here on this earth that your family might be discouraging, may even be dysfunctional, but understand that Peter is reminding all of us as followers that we are heirs of God's family, the perfect family. So how do I live out that message in my life? The idea that that I have a living hope, that I have a home that I'm going to, and it starts with you knowing who you are in God and how we're called to live like Jesus Christ. You see, clear instruction is absolutely imperative in life, is it not? Take this sign at the swimming pool. It's important to know these things. When the Winnebago first came out, the RV, they had to rewrite the owner's manual because one of the first purchasers of one of those vehicles uh, was headed down the driveway, set the cruise control, and went back to make a sandwich. They had to rewrite the book. You can't leave the driver's seat while the thing is moving. (laughs) Clear instructions are important. And so Peter wants to give that to followers of Christ in his letter. And he says in verses 11 and 12, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Peter's calling us to live differently than the world around us. Remember, Peter is writing to to people who have been marginalized, who've been slandered, who've been kicked to the curb, whose society doesn't want anything to do with them. They have been despised. But Peter reminds us as people of God, that we live such a life, so joyful a life, so exciting a life, that the world looks at us and says, wow, what's going on over here? 
I've got a question about how you're so joyful all the time, even though life has thrown you a curveball. How are you so happy all the time? You, you act like you live for something bigger than yourself, and it's our opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ with the world around us. And so although these are small moments, the question still remains, how do you respond when the server at the restaurant gets your order wrong? How do you respond when you're cut off in metro traffic? How do you react when the coworker at your workplace lies about you in order to get a leg up in the company? What do you do when a family member takes financial advantage of you? What happens when you're overlooked for the promotion that you've worked so hard to gain? You see, every life moment for us as a Christ follower is a moment to shine the story of Jesus, to let the world see why we are so happy, because we have been offered salvation. Despite what is going on in my life, despite maybe how I've acted in the past, Jesus loves me, and that is enough to bring joy to me and all those around. And Peter reminds us that we have the opportunity as followers of Christ to bring a small piece of heaven even to earth while we live. In 165 AD and 250 AD, there there was a plague that broke out in the known world across the Roman Empire. Now, most scholars, as they read descriptions of the plague, believe it was probably a smallpox epidemic. All the numbers add up to that one-third of the earth's population died. The the wealthy that lived in cities had country estates, and they isolated themselves. They they ran away from everything else that was going on in those great cities. But historians write that there was a group of people who stayed behind to care compassionately for the sick, to bury the dead that were left behind. And those people were called Christians. Christians. And the world looked at that moment and they said, who are these people? Who's willing to chance sickness and maybe even death in order to care for other people that they don't even know? And you and I are called in some small way to live out, maybe not the big splash, but small moments in our own life, sharing our message of Jesus Christ with the world. So how do you treat the poor in your community? How do you treat the educators at the school that your kids go to? How do you deal with that cantankerous neighbor in your neighborhood? How do you jump into ministry, maybe even at Crosspoint, teaching kids back in our kids' ministry the joy of following Jesus? Because you see, when we take on Jesus and his personality, then we become kind, we have a servant heart, and we are empathetic with those around us. Life becomes contagious because the world has never seen or experienced anything like Jesus Christ. That is not their script. They are self-seeking, but yet Jesus is passionate about being selfless. And we as followers have the opportunity to show the world you can reboot your life. You can restart your life by living for something that is much bigger than you and me. Peter goes on in verse 13. He says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, 
whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's interesting that that he uses this moment to remind us as Christians that we act different than the world around us, to talk specifically about authority. And in our context, that means because of Jesus Christ, for the Lord's sake, we submit to the White House, we submit to the state governor, we submit to our police force, we submit to our parents, because for whatever reason, God has allowed them to come to power. God has put them in the places that they are in authority. You remember what Jesus said to Pilate. Pilate initially started by saying, don't you understand I have the, I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus replied, you would not have that power if God had not given it to you. Verse 15, Peter says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Church, we belong to the family of God. And that means something special for you and for me. We're called to live that way. In spite of this world and sometimes the valleys that we have to walk through in this world, we're called to respect and love the people around us and to honor God with our life. Peter's calling us to that. He says no matter what's happening, no matter how badly you've been slandered, no matter how badly you have been ostracized, Continue to love and respect those around you. And you may ask today, in the midst of all that we are seeing happen and I'm enduring, why should I live that kind of distinctive life? And Peter continues in verse 21. He says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Church, that is an exciting statement. To know that no matter what we've done in our life, we can still have a relationship with our Creator because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We love following Jesus. And in the face of suffering, He continued to show mercy and compassion to those around. And Peter is calling us in this world to live as otherworldly people. Why? Because we are otherworldly people. We're going to a different home. We're going to a place where there is no night. You and I truly know that there is no place like home. 2,000 years ago, Jesus moved into your neighborhood. And now he's asking you to move into his neighborhood. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we willing to take that challenge Are we willing to step out of ourselves to take on the mind of Christ and to say, no matter what the world throws at me, I'm going to give God glory in my life. I'm going to live in such a way that the world is going to have to ask me, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? 
What's going on in your life that I don't know about? What script are you using? Because I want to be a part of that. Something bigger than ourselves is what we're searching for. And until we make God a part of our life, we'll never know the happiness and joy that he can give us. His son, Jesus Christ, loves you more than anything you possibly can imagine. And he died for you and for me so that we would be able to go home with him one day. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. Uh, And our shepherds are going to be gathered along the wall of this room. As we sing this song, my guess is in a crowd this size, we've got folks here who are struggling with some relationships. Maybe there's uh, some speed bumps going on in your life right now. You don't know how to handle those. And let me encourage you as we sing this song that you would go to one of our shepherds, let them pray for you, pray over you, lay hands on you, to, to remind you that Jesus Christ has your back, that he loves you beyond all measure, and that whatever value you're dealing with right now, the Holy Spirit lives within you and will move you and help you move through this thing going on in your life. Church, I'm ready to go home. What about you? And I don't mean three miles down the road. I mean back to Jesus. Let's live a life where the world has to ask that question. What is going on in your life? Let's stand and sing.